Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Whereas the mountains in New Zealand are really quite wild and uninhabited, you know, the European Alps are gorgeous because they have all these villages in, in the valleys and they've been there a long time. And it's a, you know, you can generally, you can generally eat pretty well when you're in, you know, you, you're in those valleys. They, they know how to do life very well. And I think there's one of the most relaxing things you can do in your lifetime is simply, you know, bask in the sun in, in a European mountain valley. <laughs> Hi, this is journalist Caroline Stephen, and this is Talking Trading. Patrick Hollingworth is a mountaineer who's climbed the world's highest peaks, including Mount Everest. And I interviewed Patrick five years ago on his climb to the top of Everest. And his interview remains one of my favorite interviews of Talking Trading to this day. So I asked Patrick to come back to talk to him again. Patrick's travelled the world climbing international summits and today we go on a travel tour of his favourite mountain ranges around the world which have made him as a person. We start in the wild mountains of New Zealand where he learnt to climb. Then we go to Pakistan and then to the European Alps, London and then we do go to Nepal where we mention the big one. But we don't climb Everest until next week with Patrick. I have to warn you about today's interview that by the end of it, you may want to pull out your travel guides, especially by the time we get to the foot of Mount Blanc. You can also find this video with Patrick on our Talking Trading YouTube channel. Patrick is such a genuine person, and I think it's one of the reasons why his interview about Mount Everest stays in my mind. Mountaineering can be solitary and isolating, like trading. And today in Mind Power, Louise Bedford looks at the importance of finding genuine people and how you can scaffold a friendship so that you're getting your needs met as a friend. Let's go to Louise Bedford in Mind Power, and then we will go to part one of Patrick Hollingworth's interview, where he goes to his favorite mountain ranges around planet Earth. I had a chat on the phone with a long-standing friend, Kristen, and we were talking about how the world has become less connected, less focused on developing relationships, and to the detriment of us all, less kind. We got fixated on a topic and Kristen asked the question, how do we get a system in place to evaluate if someone is actually genuine? and not motivated by what's in it for them. Because good people are preyed upon. I think it comes down to a few essential issues. 
Firstly, as a trader, it is a very solitary process where we're making decisions alone. We're not always jumping into groups because a lot of us are introverts. And we do find that sometimes that group think can interfere with our results. However, being connected counts. Finding people you can be yourself with who get you, it's so important. And a recent study shows that loneliness is as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. So from your own health perspective, it's essential that we find ways to connect with our fellow humans. So how can we be sure that we're not going to be taken for a ride? How, when you're kicking off a friendship, can you get that nice even ground to say, well, don't stuff with me and I won't stuff with you, but we'll still care for each other? I think it comes down to setting up a few guardrails. Firstly, I always explain for these interviews on Talking Trading, because I'm after long-term collaborations with the people who come on to Talking Trading, that there was a Daniel Pink article that talked about you're either a giver, a matcher or a taker. Now, we've all met takers in our life. Gosh, we've tried to leave them behind, haven't we? But matchers and givers, that's something that needs a bit more explanation. Now, a matcher is somebody who does give you the equivalent of what you've given them, but it doesn't have to be the exact same thing. My friend Christine, she's fantastic with cooking. Me, eh, not so much. So I wouldn't want to match her by giving her cookies. But heck, I'm happy to give her other things that will hopefully fill up her love bank. And what about a giver? I find I'm hoping to become more of a matcher. I tend to give too much. I tend to expend a lot of energy. I find that I get frustrated if people don't realise how much I've given. And I undergo something that I will term as giver rebellion. That's where the resentment can add up. And all of a sudden you realise that you have given more in that relationship than you've received. Now that imbalance, you can handle it for a while. If you're like me, with some of my friends, I've handled that imbalance for far too long though. And in fact, one of my friends of 20 years, I just realised that I'm the one that always initiates the contact. I always ask for the catch-ups. I'm the one giving and giving. Now, that giving is difficult if you're not getting your energy restored by that person. So with every interview with Talking Trading, I explain this theory. I say to that person who might be on an interview coming to you very soon, I explain that for a long-term relationship, a long-term collaboration to work, we have to both be matches. I explain it up front people know exactly what's happening. So there are no confusing aspects to that relationship. And then we both strive to match. Because I can tell you, if you continually accept people's poor behavior towards you, you will tolerate it and you will get more of what you have accepted in the past. So set up a relationship with that giver, matcher, taker philosophy. Talk about it with your friend. 
If you're going to undertake an education course, make sure that you've understood whether you're giving matching or taking from the people who you're being educated by. It infiltrates every aspect of your life, including your employment situation. The other thing I'd suggest is to take mini steps. If you have a relationship that is already out of balance, why not try explaining this giver-matcher-taker philosophy? Why not ask a broad general question about, do you feel you're a matcher? And if they say yes and you feel that your needs aren't being met, maybe you can open up a conversation about that. Non-judgmental, focused on getting both of your needs met. A true win-win. Now the other aspect with determining whether people are genuine or not is scaffolding and guardrails. So scaffolding is sometimes I feel we always try to make the big leap when in actual fact it would be much better if we took baby steps. That's the scaffolding I'm talking about, taking baby, baby steps. And guardrails. When are you likely to fall out of safety? What are the deal breakers? What are the things in that new relationship that mean it's over? You need to work out where your guardrails lie. What are your absolute boundaries and then stick with it. So in summary, to evaluate whether somebody is genuine, you need to firstly make this a priority. Think about giving, matching and taking. Look at mini steps to get your relationship back on track and work out when those people are going past that guardrail, over that boundary, so that you know it's a deal breaker. Hopefully with these ideas, you're going to end up living your best life in terms of connectedness because there's no point in becoming that exceptional trader if when you make it, everything around you is scorched earth. Nurture your relationships, take time to build new ones and seek out genuine people so that you can stave off loneliness and so that they'll push you towards living your trader's life. Hi, I'm Lane Beachley, seven times world surfing champion and you're listening to Talking Trading. Today on Talking Trading, we are speaking to the very special and wonderful mountaineer, Patrick Hollingworth, who we had on Talking Trading five years ago, and his interview remains one of my favourite interviews to this day. Patrick Hollingworth, hello and welcome back to Talking Trading. Hi, Caroline. Thank you. Great to be back here. I can't believe it's five years. Feels like it was only yesterday. (laughs) It does feel like it's yesterday and your voice actually resonates in my head many times. You know, I think our interview is my favourite interview on Talking Trading. I think about it often. It left me with such a haunting sense of beauty and inspiration about Mount Everest. I have never spoken to anyone who has summited Mount Everest and I was fascinated. And I could ask you exactly the same questions about it today and be just as interested, but I won't. There's other things I want to talk about with you, but if we could maybe touch the rooftop of the world later in the interview, that would be really good. And maybe those crevasses, that would be great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Mr. Mountaineer, I know you're six foot four, you're a built born mountaineer. You have actually traversed 
many international summits and you've traveled the world by mountaineering. Let's take a look at your top five favorite places in the world that you say have made you. Let's start with where your love for the mountains began, New Zealand. Yeah, I love New Zealand. It's, it's, I think it's my favorite place on earth. I love the mountains there. They're really, really wild. Um, they're probably the, some of the most wild mountains on earth. And yeah, that's basically kind of where I, you know, I learned the rope, so to speak, you know, to begin with, just in terms of hiking or, or tramping, as they call it in New Zealand, you know, having a backpack on and simply walking up and up valleys and into the next valley. Um, and then subsequently, yeah, more technical mountaineering and um, learning how to move through rocky and icy terrain. Um, and New Zealand, not many people realise this, but New Zealand has, although the mountains themselves aren't particularly high, like Mount Cook is the highest mountain. It's only 3,700 metres. It's really significant because they basically start at sea level. And so from, from the bottom of the mountains to the top is actually a similar kind of um, elevation to the, the mountains in the Himalayas. It's just that in the Himalayas, the mountains start at 5,000 metres. So, um, yeah, New Zealand mountains are really big and bad and dangerous and they get really extreme uh, maritime weather from the ocean. But, I, yeah, I I absolutely love the, especially the South Island. The mountains there are just really stunning. Pakistan. I know nothing about Pakistan. I've never seen Pakistan other than from Navy SEALs on television. (laughs) One of your favourite places in the world. Why? Yeah, I, I climbed a mountain or attempted to climb a mountain in Pakistan in 2004. I, yeah, I, I just find it a fascinating country. So the mountains themselves are, are quite impressive. So in Pakistan, the main mountain range is known as the Karakoram. And the Karakoram is essentially the western sort of the westernmost extent of the Himalayan range. Oh. Um, and it's got, um, it's got the Karakoram has five 8,000 metre peaks there. So um, there's only 14 8,000 metre peaks in the world and five of them are in Pakistan. Um, and so the mountains there are very, very high and they're very, they're really densely kind of located. So from that, that sort of, that physical beauty, it's, it's just a stunning environment. Um, but also um, probably, or some of the most hospitable people I've ever come across are in Pakistan, really, really welcoming. Um, um, and, you know, always really curious to find out about, you know, what life's like in Australia. Um, there's also, also that shared connection through cricket. You know, you'll see most kids or many kids in Pakistan, the clothes they wear are, are the one-day colours of their favourite cricket team. Um, and so you'll see you'll see green and gold in lots of little villages around Pakistan because, you know, they, they like the Australian cricket team. You know, certainly stage, up in the mountains. you were climbing there and Osama bin Laden was supposedly in the area? Yeah, well, so, when, so we were there in 2004 and, you know, this was, so it was only a couple of years after 9-11 and there was, there was still the sort of the active hunt for Osama bin Laden and it had been rumoured that the CIA had, had basically chased Osama bin Laden up the valley that we were walking up to, to get to the base camp of the mountain we were going to climb. So supposedly that had only happened a few months before we got there. Um, and interestingly, actually, we, we passed, on our way there, we passed through Abbottabad, which is where... Uh, bin Laden was eventually you know his hideout was so that was that was interesting having having passed through that town um but I mean I always sort of felt like you know Pakistan gets a pretty bad rap you know in in a number of western countries but in, in my experience was certainly um I, I I found it to be a really welcoming a really welcoming country yeah Italy now when I think of Italy 
one of my favourite countries in the world. I think of Positano, Ravello, Capri. Ah, yes. <laughs> but you, yes. Think, you think of something quite yeah. different. So I love, there's probably, well, yeah, without a doubt, one of my favourite mountain valleys in the world is um, if you head up north of Aosta into Val d'Aosta, and it's basically a valley which takes you up to just the foot of Mont Blanc or Monte Bianco. Monte Bianco and then on the other side of the mountains is is France but so you get this valley which basically kind of gets you to the foot of of Mont Blanc and then these sort of two sub valleys Val de Ferret and I forget the name of the other valley but they're these really quaint mountain valleys with um uh you know small Italian villages um you know there's you know cows with their cowbells kind of walking through the 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 pasture and so on and it's just an incredibly um, peaceful kind of in, environment. And whereas the mountains in New Zealand are really quite wild and uninhabited, you know, the European Alps are gorgeous because they have all these villages in, in the valleys and they've been there a long time. And it's a, you know, you can generally, you can generally eat pretty well when you're in, you know, you, you're in those valleys. They, they know how to do life very well. And I think there's one of the most relaxing things you can do in your lifetime is simply, you know, bask in the sun in, in a European mountain valley <laughs> wow the climbing's, the climbing's pretty good there as well yeah t- totally yeah 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 technical climbing or just tramping oh both i mean there's a classic one of the classic sort of walks of the world is called the the tour de mont blanc or the i think it abbreviated to mtb but that's about a 14 day walk which takes you around the whole kind of mont blanc massif and you pass from france into italy into switzerland and then back into france and you know, you're not using tents, you're just staying in little refuges along the way in different villages. And yeah, so you eat really well and beautiful wine. And so some really, really good walking and hiking, but also, yeah, some, um, you know, around Mont Blanc itself, some incredible technical climbing and, you know, the Chamonix on the French side of Mont Blanc is essentially kind of the birthplace of, of mountaineering itself. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Now this place, the only technical climbing you might be doing is up St. Paul's Cathedral, but London is one of your favourite cities in the world. It's not a mountaineer place, but just very quickly, why do you love London so much? I haven't, I, haven't, I mean, I guess I haven't, I haven't been to London for, I probably was last in London in 20, maybe 2015 or 2016. I, I mean, you know, like I think most people enjoy being in a, in a, in a large global city where, you've, you know, mm. there's just, it's 24 hours a day. There's always something happening and you feel you're kind of part of the, you know, the global community, whereas sometimes in Australia, you know, you can feel a little bit isolated. And, but of course, it's all, it's, it's all contextual, right? In the, in the context of the past 18 months, um, I don't think I would have wanted to be in London. <laughs> you know, and in fact, a few of my friends who, who do live in London, I mean, they've, yeah, you know, they've been in, they've spent, you know, most of the past year in kind of in semi lockdown. So, yeah, um, so London, I don't know if it'd been my top five places currently. okay Nepal now you've been a mountaineer for a long time you started in New Zealand but once you climbed and summited Everest suddenly you became a mountaineer that everyone was interested in and you could Mm. charge money for your keynote speaking so let's go to Nepal May 2010 you stood on the rooftop of the world Everest which stands almost nine vertical kilometers into the earth's atmosphere I get tears when I say Mm. that just imagining Mm. it in our interview on Talking Trading, you took us through Base Camp, two, three, four, Summit Ridge, Summit and down. Yeah. Can we go back there? Mm, yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about Everest in 
in quite a while, actually. So happy to happy to go back there. And that's where we're going to leave Talking Trading today. I feel like I've teased you a little bit. We will be starting our climb up to the rooftop of the world in next week's show. So please come back so you can stand on the rooftop of the world and be spellbound. I'm Caroline Stephen. Take care. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are generally nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.